without further ado, let's get into the NFL portion of the program. And right now, I am honored to welcome on Brady Papinga, former Green Bay Packer linebacker from 2005 to 2010, Super Bowl winner as well, and co-host on Fox Sports Radio Premier Networks with Steve Hartman. Brady, thanks so much for joining me here today. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Of course, of course. Glad you could take some time out. We're able to do this. But first and foremost, let's start, obviously, with your former team and my favorite team, the Green Bay Packers. Now, they've been struggling offensively, and I do a sports talk radio show for CBS where we dash all around the dial. We listen to you down in Miami. And there's been a ton of talk about everybody trying to add in their two cents about what's going wrong with the Packers. I saw you tweeted something, a breakdown you did about their offense. Kind of go in depth there and, and what you're seeing from the Packers offense that they're doing or not doing right now. Yeah, well, everybody wants to talk scheme, and that is too vanilla. They want to talk about Aaron Rodgers' mechanics, and the two problems with those kind of uh, analysis is, first, Aaron's mechanics have always been this same way, even when he was breaking records. Him, Brett Favre, and many other quarterbacks don't operate under the same kind of fundamental rules as maybe guys like Tom Brady and other quarterbacks that have to, and that's because they're different. They have different attributes, and if you all of a sudden think, oh, we got to make Aaron Rodgers fundamentally sound, you're asking him to be another quarterback. So throw that out, and then the scheme issue, well, this is the same scheme, again, they've been using, and it's not a scheme that all of a sudden everybody's defending differently. Everybody's defending it with single high safety, man press cover underneath, and you know what? As a matter of two years ago, that was the very coverage the Packers were hoping they would get. They would dream about because they knew they could gash it, and they did it so, so consistently. So why then? Why can't they gash that same defense that they loved and dreamt about years past? Simply starts off with Jordy Nelson. And Jordy Nelson and Aaron Rodgers haven't been able to work together this offseason because of Jordy Nelson's injury. They kept him out, and because their timing is off right now. And so because their timing is off, that makes it to where these quick slant routes, which are the ones that really gash that single-high man-press cover screen, screen, are just not getting enough productivity to set up other elements of their offense. And so that comes to timing. Now, you may ask yourself, in addition to what the, uh, the offseason and the lack of time to work together with Jordy and Aaron, what else could be contributed to that, to, to that timing issue? Well, it's Jordy Nelson's rehab. And it's not that he's been rehabbing, it's just that he's in the last phase of rehab, and it's He's having to rehab now in real games. And the way that works is I've had two ACL tears. I know how the last step of rehab goes. It's a psychological one. And it's not one to where all of a sudden you don't believe you're, uh, you know, you're all of a sudden going to hold up. It's the, this flashback. It's almost like this post-traumatic stress disorder to where you have flashbacks and realizing that when you did tear your ACL in the first place, that you weren't doing anything out of the norm. And in his case, he didn't get hit. He simply just stepped wrong as ACL popped. And so what's happened, and you'll see a couple turnovers in the breakdown I did, one most specifically this last week with the fumble with Jordy, was he catches the ball, and as he's going to turn up field, his right leg, which is a surgically repaired one, is going in, is planting into the ground. And just as it's planting into the ground, all of a sudden you're seeing Barry Church torpedo in there to chop his legs out. And the natural protective mechanism you're going to have at this stage of Jordan Nelson's uh, rehabilitation is, is you're going to go into protective mode thinking, oh, I don't want to get hurt. And so you go, your body shuts down, you let go of the ball, or you let go of the strong grip on the ball, and all of a sudden the ball pops out. And so uh, there's those issues. And then lastly, just like in any offense, you're going to have moments to where you just have, you know, people call them brain farts. Some people call them, you know, a short circuit of your brain. Others call them mental errors. 
to where you're just not going to execute at the highest level, and it's just been bad timing to when they're trying to get Jordy going, trying to get him involved. You have other guys that aren't executing. The line doesn't block maybe, even though the line's played really well. And so it's just a compound of a bunch of small things that right now are making up some big issues, but they're fixable, and I would predict that within the next four to six weeks, we're going to see a whole new offense. So you're not putting this all on Aaron Rodgers, obviously. I know there's some in the breakdown where you showed that he's not getting the ball, and I've seen other breakdowns where he's not getting the ball out of his hand as quickly as, as we're used to him doing so. And it, like you said, is the line's blocking really well. They're doing a great job, especially in that Cowboy game. They gave him all kinds of time. Is there a little confidence factor? Rodgers is kind of thinking about a little bit too much. He, he's, he's afraid to kind of let that ball go, or is it just kind of, everything's going wrong at the same time, whether the other wide receiver's running the wrong route or Jordy's not trusting his leg. Is there anything that's kind of going on in Aaron's head where he's like, I don't know if I trust getting this ball out in time? Oh, yeah, because if you look at when they were rolling, I mean, he would – it was almost like in his sleep subconsciously, man, he would just zing these quick slant or these quick timing routes, and he just knew yeah. that they were going to – and they were going to gash a defense. And so it was – it is a trust issue, and it's one of those things. Imagine if you're shooting, you know, golf or in basketball and all these gimme putts or these gimme shots that you used to have now aren't gimmies. You're going to maybe take a little extra time or you're going to think a little extra about making that gimme because you know, man, that's a gimme to me, and that's what's going on with Aaron right now. Instead of just winging it out there like, oh, that's a second nature to me, He's sometimes waiting a little longer to almost ensure that those gimmies, that they, well, at least that they used to be gimmies, can somehow still get going. And so, yeah, I would say there's a little of that there, but it's more of a function that they just aren't connecting for the reasons that I had spoken to before, which is about timing being off, Jordy not fully being healthy mentally, I'd say physically, just mentally, which is natural. And then, obviously, there's some execution errors, but every team deals with and has to manage with the execution errors on a, you know, every so often on a down-and-down-out basis. So you're basically subscribing to the notion that, hey, time heals all wounds, and in time this offense is going to be fine. It's going to be clicking on all cylinders. They're going to be doing those back shoulder fades, which they used to kill people on in, in a matter of time. Oh, there's no question because they'll get it down, and that's what they're working Like What we're seeing now is basically the practice time that Jordy and Aaron should have had during the offseason when Jordy was held out. And so we're all witnessing that, and obviously – when you're trying to get on the same page when it's for real, uh, you're going to struggle a little bit because, obviously, in practice, you're not keeping score. So we're, we're witnessing it right now, and I'd say, again, within the next four to six weeks, the key indicator is going to be that quick slant. Once they get that quick slant going against single highs, guess what they're going to have to do? Defenses are going to have to adjust, go to zone, and all of a sudden it makes life easier for everybody else, for Devontae Adams, who struggles on press man, who's, but he's improved, but he still struggles, even Randall Cobb. He can get off a little bit more, and it just opens everything else for everybody else. And so it's, it really is going to come down to the Aaron to Jordy connection getting on the same page. And when that happens, it starts clicking like it did in 2014. They'll be back to like they were. And we're talking with Brady Papinga, former linebacker of the uh, NFL, and the Green Bay Packers won a Super Bowl with them. And, uh, Brady, I know we're recording this on a Thursday, and, and we don't get to talk about the game that's, that's, you know, that's at this point already happened against the Bears. But just talk a little bit about Niles Davis coming into this, this offense. Ted Thompson, Ted Thompson makes a trade for the first time since 2010 when you were there where they signed safety Anthony Smith from Jacksonville and they traded for him. 
Um, you know, Eddie Lacy just came out. He's going on IR. He won't be able eligible to be back until week 15. Can Niles Davis realistically add a dynamic presence to this offense? Well, all they need is to have some kind of running threat. You know, I mean, anything uh, that's a legit running back in addition to just uh, Ty Montgomery, number 88, sitting in the backfield is going to be yep. a plus for that offense. I mean, if I see that, <laughs> I'm, on, I'm not even, like, caring about the run. You know, I'm like, oh, we're, we're all going to yeah. drop back first and we'll react late to the run because this is not a threat to us. But when you get just some running back back there, the schemes are the same when you talk about Andy Reid's West Coast scheme and Mike McCarthy's. And then when you also talk about his own running scheme, one thing that seems to be swept under the carpet a lot when you talk about that scheme is the scheme is really ideal for a number of different runners. And that's because instead of relying on the physical attributes of the very running back, you're relying on a, a, a basically, I'd say, a law of, uh, of physics, or you could say a law of nature, which is the, the whole premise behind the zone blocking scheme is you're betting that when you're running that defense sideways, that there's going to be certain defenders that run faster than others, certain ones that get maybe caught up in the, the wash or get blocked, creating natural creases. And so then it just puts the onus on the running back to be able to do two things, be patient, be able to read, and then ultimately when they read that little gash that is naturally created by the lateral movement of the zone blocking scheme to be able to one cut and get up in there. And so, again, there's a lot of guys that can do that, and that's the premise behind the whole running scheme of Mike McCarthy. So if they could just get some some threat, and they don't need this guy to go out and take over the league. They just need him to give them a threat so they can suck up the linebackers and play action pass and have opportunities downfield vertically. Kind of reminds me, I think it was your last year with the Packers when, they, when you guys won the Super Bowl, when John Kuhn for at some point was the – starting running back, and they were trying to mix in, I, I believe it was James Starks in there, but John Kuhn was carrying the ball five, six, seven, eight times during the game. And after, you bring up actually a point there that uh, shows a huge critical mistake that Ted Thompson made. And Ted, you know what, he, he, everybody makes mistakes, and he's such a good dude and a good general manager that you just sort of sweep them under the carpet. And they don't really, like, yep. show their heads until moments like this. But imagine if they still had John Kuhn instead of letting him oh, know that he made anything more. He could be, at least for the interior, that rich of a running back because he has tailback skills from the fullback position. You know, now you're, you're left out hanging out the drive because their other fullback, number 22, the young buck who replaced him. Yeah, Luke Kowski. Yeah, he's a one-trick pony. He's only a fullback. He's not a guy that has yeah. versatility in the dimensional element to him like John Kuhn. And so uh, you bring up a point there that Ted made a critical error. And he, you know, and he, he bets, you know, you're always betting when you're making choices and he always bets to let guys go or let them explore for agency and other avenues before they, between quotations, hit the drop-off in their career, which I don't believe John has hit yet. And so it, it no. was, you know, Ted's trying to make up for a bet he lost. And he lost greatly on that bet with uh, letting John Kuhn go. Yeah, and he's doing a great job for uh, the Saints and that high-powered offense out there in, in New Orleans. All right, let's, let's move on for the Packers. Let's, uh, let's go to the local teams now because that's mostly what I cover here and that's what most of the listeners are listening for. So let's get to the Giants. Let's get to Odell Beckham Jr. You know, he finally, welcome to the season, had a, his welcome to the season moment last week with those two big touchdowns and, and the win over the Ravens. 
but he had those shenanigans going on where he's saying he, he's not having fun on the field anymore and he's, he's taking his frustration out on the kicking net. Now he's marrying the kicking net. He's doing all different things. I don't know what he's doing on the sidelines. Uh, but he has, you know, obviously he's very supremely talented. But does he, in your mind, does he need a little bit of an attitude adjustment? And if so, is that something that comes from a coach or a veteran leader in the locker room in your experience? Uh, no, you're not going to ask him to do an attitude adjustment. It's who he is. And when you're in the NFL, every single player has a ledger. And on that ledger is, okay, what's the baggage versus what's the talent? And obviously, if the greater the talent, you can handle the greater amount of baggage. We've seen that with a number of players mm-hmm. in the history of time, whether that's Terrell Owens, whether that's Ocho Cinco. I mean, even in, in the New York when they brought in Plaxico Burris with all of his baggage, you knew what you are going to get. But you're like, we're good with it because we know the upside. The same could be said for Odell Beckham. I don't mind him being emotional. I don't mind him being passionate. I don't mind him being a goofball. I don't mind him to be out there because he's so productive. I would just deal with that. And I do believe that when they went on this rant of, oh, you got to stop being a distraction, you know, up, leading up until he had his breakout game, you could say, this last week, I thought that was a mistake. You know, I think if anything, you bring him in, he just say, hey, bro, you know the deal. You know the deal that if you are going to act this way, which this is who you are, then if you don't produce – we then have to make a choice as an organization as to whether we feel like it's worth it to put up with this or not. And that's, I mean, that's, you just spell it out before him and say, we can't, you know, we, if you're going to be a distraction and you don't score touchdowns and you're not productive, then we can't work together. You know what I mean? And that's the kind of conversations you have to have with these guys. And if they flip out and they throw a big, you know, a big fit, then you manage it from there and you try to, you try to sort of iron things out. But the big point is, is you got to be upfront with these guys. And I don't know, you know, I know Ben McAdoo really good. I love the guy. I'd imagine he's had a number of conversations with Odell Beckham, but I don't know what they've said. But I do know that a lot of these guys get a, get a little bit of gunshot. To just be straight and honest with these kids, thinking that they're all of a sudden going to just pout and uh, they're not going to get much out of them. But there's a difference between breaking somebody down to the point where they can't come back and a difference in uh, just being honest with them. And I think with him, you're just honest. You just got to let them know the realities. Look, man, you score touchdowns like that, I don't care what you do as long as it's obviously legal and it doesn't hurt our team. But, I mean, you can go out and uh, dance with the net for all we care. You know, <laughs> we just want you to be productive. <laughs> Let's have a good time. Do, do the Victor Cruz. You can go salsa with the net if you want. Exactly. Exactly. I don't care, but just be productive. You know, be productive so that we can say, hey, you know what, we, we're good with this kind of uh, this kind of behavior. And, and, I mean, you can just let them know that's for everybody, too. But we, I love it. I think it's great. I think it's great for the league. I think it's great for uh, the New York Giants. It's a breath of fresh air to see a guy that is different. I mean, he is very different in the way that he operates and moves and thinks and is than a guy that I think we've ever seen in the NFL. I think that's a good thing, and it should be embraced more than it should be shunned. Yeah, he definitely dances to the beat of his own drum. Uh, but that's a great point that you brought up that, hey, if he's not producing, then this stuff becomes a problem. But if he is, hey, we can tolerate it. We're talking with Brady Popenga, former linebacker of the, in the NFL. Now let's move over to the other New York football team, or technically New Jersey, but we, we, we keep them here in New York. We, we call them our own. Uh, let's go to the Jets. Do you think they're doing the right thing by switching quarterbacks at this time? We know Ryan Fitzpatrick hasn't played well. In my estimation, we kind of know what Geno Smith is, but maybe he's developed a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. Maybe he'll show something. Uh, But we're seeing this as kind of a banged-up, not a great Jet team facing a tough schedule. Do you think it was the right move to go to Geno Smith at this time? No question, because the reason why you paid Ryan Fitzpatrick the money you did is because you felt like with him as our quarterback, we are a playoff contender. 
and we're going to ride that until we're shown otherwise. And guess what? As a matter of a couple weeks, weeks they've been shown otherwise. They're not no longer a playoff contender. So now you got four quarterbacks on your roster. You got to figure out who these guys are. You got to figure out what kind of upside they have, and you got to figure out if any of these guys are going to be somebody that you're going to invest either future in. And that's and I'm talking. I'm not talking money. I'm talking future repetitions because repetitions are the most valuable commodity that you can ever uh, disperse. Uh, from a team's perspective, especially live game repetitions. And so now is your chance to, to, to start to disperse them and see who do we got because no longer are the Jets a contender. But, I mean, I, I do believe this is something that they're going to give him this one last chance, and he's failed miserably. And, I mean, the Jets are going to have to also take some of the fault here. It's not all on Ryan Fitzpatrick. The fact that they didn't ante up and pay him for what he really was worth made it to where he couldn't work with his receivers. Now, we're, you know, I mean, you look at Tom Brady, you look at the Aaron Rodgers, you see a common factor here, and that is these guys are tied to their wide receivers. That's because they work with them. And all of a sudden with Aaron, you don't get to work with a guy like Jordy Nelson for all offseason, you see the disconnect. Uh, Tom Brady, he's been able to work with his guys all offseason. You see the connection. You know, with uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, you, he hasn't been able to work with his guys all offseason. You see the disconnect. <laughs> you see a pattern here. And so the reason why <laughs> yep. he wasn't able to get to work is because he wasn't in the building because they were nickel and dime at him. And so you can give a lot of the fault to the Jets organization just as much as you can give it to Ryan Fitzpatrick. Yeah, they kind of screwed the pooch on that one. Let's go now, Brady, to the young quarterbacks. Uh, obviously, Dak and, and Carson Wentz have impressed. Who's impressed you more, and, and what have you liked out of the way? Uh, especially, you have to see, you know, Dak up in person, up close and personal. If you're watching the Green Bay game last week, what have you liked about what these guys have shown you? Well, Carson, to me, I think is a function more of Doug Peterson really simplifying his offense, bringing them along slow. He's surrounded by uh, a tremendous talents. Whether you're talking Jake Matthews, Darren Sproles, uh, Ryan Matthews, uh, Selleck, you got guys there that, that have really taken a lot of the stress off of uh, Carson Wentz. Now, Dak Prescott, I mean, he's in another world, man, and I don't know why he doesn't get uh, some of the fanfare. He's not even in the same sentence as Carson Wentz. Dak is in, I mean, come on, he breaks the interception record that was held, talking, talking about 163 passes, he ended up having 177 without an interception, uh, starting off his career, who he broke the record of the all-time great, Tom Brady. I mean, that's where he's at. Yeah. He's on that path. I mean, I mean, and I don't know why we're not acknowledging this. I mean, this guy is on the path that if he continues to grow and develop, can become an all-time great quarterback and lead to the lead the Cowboys to Super Bowls, Super Bowl championships, and always be a contender. You know, and so that's where he's at. I mean, his maturity in the pocket is what's most impressive about Dak. The guy's able to keep his eyes downfield when he's getting tremendous pressure, which. If you look at all young quarterbacks, it's generally where they're at. They are so afraid of the pressure that their eyes go from, oh, where are my receivers to, oh, boy, where am I first going to get hit? <laughs> so painful. you got big dudes coming after you. Dak wasn't that way. He was able to, in a number of plays against the Packers and throughout the season, and this is what I liked about him in the, in the preseason, he was able to navigate the pocket, manage the pocket, avoiding pressure points, whether it was up the middle to the edges, and find space all the while he's looking downfield. So that means he's feeling the pressure. That's a veteran move. And then on top of it, he's able to deliver passes when he is off kilter. One of the plays in specific I'm talking about is that he uh, navigates the pocket, avoids basically a, uh, like a, uh, a situation where he's surrounded by pressure, steps up, 
to his left, and he starts to roll, splash, slide to his left, and Terrence Newman's on a crossing route, and as he's going to his left, he does, I mean, just touch pass back to his right. People don't understand that. If you're right-handed quarterback and you're going to your left, already you're behind the eight ball because you have to turn your hips, you have to dis- disassociate your hips with your shoulders and core. But then to throw a touch pass, I mean, it's just it was an example of how high of a level this guy's playing at. He again, he's in a whole other world. He is on the trajectory of being an all-time great. And oh, by the way, if you go look at my Twitter feed at Brady Papinga, his first preseason game, and I'm not a big fan of preseason games. I don't think they tell you much. I don't think they really mean much. But when I saw him in that first preseason game in Los Angeles against the Rams, my first thought was. After he played, I said, it's time for the Cowboys to get rid of Romo. And I, and I love Romo, and I, and I think he's a phenomenal player. Sure enough, he gets hurt. Now that talk is persisting, and it's because I saw one thing out of Dak, his maturity. He's beyond his years, and there's, no younger, there's, not a younger, there's not another young quarterback in the NFL right now that even is close to him. Wow, that is a bold statement. You basically just answered – my next question, I was going to ask out of the bye, did they start Tony Romo if he's healthy, ready to go, or Dak Prescott? Clearly, you're on the Dak Prescott bandwagon. Well, there's, a, there's two things in my mind. You know, and I play with the, the Cowboys, and I know Jerry Jones. Uh, in my mind, yep. if you're talking this pure football logic, you're saying there's no question. And, and, and this should have been addressed, I do believe, in the offseason, because I, and I know everybody's high on the Cowboys, but I, I'm still not a believer. I'm not a buyer in their defense. I, I do believe their defense has uh, been bailed out by their offense, their ability to run the ball. But what happens when you get that defense on the field more, defending more plays, because maybe the running game isn't rolling like it generally is? Are they able to hold their end of the bargain? I don't believe they are. So having said that, I believe from the beginning that the Cowboys were limited with or without Tony. And I don't believe they're a Super Bowl content or a Super Bowl winning team this year. Maybe they get to the NFC Championship game, but that's where they max out. I'm not anticipating them getting to the Super Bowl. I don't even think they're going to win the Super Bowl. So that being said, I mean, this should have been a decision in the preseason to where he has the greatest amount of value. I mean, look, the uh, the Eagles were able to get for Sam Bradford, and imagine the teams that were ready to absorb uh, Tony Romo, his contract and everything. I mean, the Broncos would have given up a lot to take him in. No, I mean, the Broncos would be so scary right now if they had Tony Romo, and Tony Romo would be in a situation where he could legitimately contend for a su- and win a Super Bowl if that were the case. Uh, and so yep. the point is, is that, you know, Dak, he, he's a guy that he, he's earned the right to start. There's no way you should mess up that rhythm, and that's what I think. But I know Jerry Jones too well to know that he is overly loyal, which is a good thing in some cases. In some cases it goes against logic because your loyalty sort of takes over instead of, uh, you know, what's best for the team. And I do believe he's very loyal to Tony. So I don't believe when Tony – so this is what I think will happen – it's not really what I do believe should happen. What I think will happen is that they are going to just tell Tony, take a rest. You know, we need you to just be 100% healthy. And they'll keep sort of leading him on that it's his team and he's the starter. And, uh, and they're going to wait and see with Dak. Because one thing, too, that people don't realize is that there's a lot different pressure from a player when you've got a guy behind you that's really good that could take your spot from when that guy has no possibility of playing when he's not dressed versus all of a sudden he's on the sideline looking over your shoulder. There's a different pressure aspect there. If all of a sudden Tony's dressed, healthy, ready to go, and all of a sudden Dak starts to feel a little pressure, like, man, if I mess up, and, I mean, it's self-imposed. I'm sure the coaches would tell him this. But he's got to know that if he messes up or has a rough stretch, that Tony's going to come in. Sometimes that messes with the young guy. 
And sometimes that may lead yep. to him struggling. And so my point is, is if you're Jerry, maybe you wait for that moment because there's going to be a moment, you know, where you're going to have to ask yourself, maybe the fans start booing or whatever. I mean, that's going to happen. I mean, look at Steve Young. He's turned out to be a Hall of Famer. That happened, I don't know how many times with him in San Francisco. It's unbelievable, you know. Oh, so, yeah. It's going to happen this year. And so I would imagine Jerry's going to wait for that moment and, and, and he's going to exercise his loyalty. When logic would say that he should have already traded Tony away for assets and there's still time with the uh, the uh, trade deadline because it, it's it's a situation where you got your guy. There's no reason to go back to him but loyalty, and I think loyalty will win over, but I don't believe all of a sudden he's just going to give him the job. He's going to wait for Dak to have a stretch where he struggles and then he'll feel justified in putting Tony back in there. Yeah, that's a great point. And, yeah, they kind of got stuck. If they would have just traded Tony before he got hurt, they could have really got some things back for him, maybe continue to build on that oh. defense because it seems like that offense is very solid at this point. What I was thinking when I, when I first you know, made that idea came to my head, I was thinking you could get future draft picks, no question, for Tony. Yep. You could even get a young quarterback. You know, if you traded with the, the Broncos, we all know that the Dallas Cowboys were trying to trade up to get Paxton Lynch. I'm sure the Broncos would have given up Paxton Lynch, and everybody might say, oh, you got your quarterback. Why did Paxton Lynch? Well, competition's a good thing. When you got two young quarterbacks in there and they're competing against each other, pushing each other at the most important position, you know you're going to get the best of each quarterback. But in addition to Paxton Lynch, you would have got draft picks. I mean, and those draft picks could have been uh, turned in for the solid defensive players to do like what you suggested, which is to build their defense up. And where they need to build is they need to get some pass rushers. Yeah, ever since they lost to Marcus Ware, they really haven't had that guy to really get after the quarterback. That's exactly right. I tried to Marcus Lawrence and, you know, uh, this other kid out of Nebraska, lame slips my mind on the, you know, he's in rehab right now. But, yeah, they, I mean, DeMarcus Ware is a guy, one in a generation kind of player, but just even getting some middle, middle push guys too would have been effective. Yeah, absolutely. Brady Popenga with us here on The Word with G, her blog talk radio. And uh, just a couple more for you, Brady, here. I want to go to, uh, you know, a lot of players, we, you know, we hear them grumbling about the Thursday night game, and, and I know people say, you know, it's, it's way too soon for players to be ready. Sometimes they're just, you know, getting treatment to get themselves even possibly remotely ready to play on Sunday. What was your feeling when you played in the NFL? Did you like Thursday night football? Was it annoying? Did, did you feel it was unnecessary? Uh, what, just overall, what's your feeling on this? And do you think it goes away ever, or is it too money-making where they have that one night where it's a – Everybody's watching us on Thursday Night Football. Oh, yeah, I do believe it's, uh, it's, it's tough because you have to change your weekly flow of preparation, you know. And so and we're seeing that it's affecting teams like crazy. I mean, teams don't look good, especially the visiting teams, and they're playing poorly. You know, I'm not a big believer that it increases injuries. You know, many people say it does. I don't believe it does. Is, and, and the thing that is happening, and, and again, let me let me say that's dependent on the contingency thing that the coaches prepare the kids right, meaning they give them basically all those days off and just do walkthroughs. But I do what has to, what I do believe that has to happen is teams have to adapt, and the way you adapt is you have to build a simpler game plan. And everybody may say, well, hey, that's going to bring a disadvantage. Well, if it's such a disadvantage then why do coaches see so much success in simplifying their offense with these younger quarterbacks? You know, if simplification meant disadvantage, then you'd never simplify, and that's not the case. We've actually seen it work in reverse. So I do believe it should stay. It's just a matter, instead of complaining about it from a coach's end, they should adapt and figure out, okay, how can we get our guys ready? 
even though we're on a short week, even though we got to travel so that they, they can still go out and play top notch, that has yet to be figured out. And so that's really, I think, what the issue is. I don't think it has anything to do with the Thursday night game. I loved him, as a matter of fact. I loved him because Coach McCarthy, he handled them really. We, yeah, we were able to get time to rest, so I felt fresher because uh, I didn't have to go through a Wednesday, Thursday padded practice. And I liked it because we were able to somehow, I, I, don't, I don't know if it was, like I said, by design or if it just sort of accidentally happened, but we were able to just simplify our defense. And from that end of it, you went out and played fast. And I, I, I loved it. I thought they were great. But I'm, I'm a, actually, a, 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 I'm not in the majority on that one. I'm sort of in the, uh, the minority. No. As many people, many yeah, players, you definitely are. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, you know, because I I do my that CBS show where I hear from a lot of different players and people covering the game, and uh, all you hear is people complaining about it, and 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 I think that's a really interesting point that you brought up. That yeah, you don't have that extra time to kind of over prepare, overthink about a matchup or a situation or uh, a quarterback that you may be facing, especially for you on the defensive end that, hey, we just have to simplify things. We don't have enough time to overthink. It's just, hey, this is what we're going to do. This is our plan. Let's go out and execute it. Yeah, I would say that's that's really where the problem is. It's just they want to install a full week's game plan in three days, and it, it, it creates, you know, paralysis yeah. by analysis. And uh, you can't do that. you got to stick to your foundation. you got to stick to your core, simplify things. And, I mean, and, and the reality is offensively, defensively, I mean, it's about having two really good things that work for you and having them look the same and then working them one against another, whether it's a blitz pressure package on defense that looks like a conservative coverage package. If you get what I mean, like it's, I mean, it's just something that's simple or showing single high and all of a sudden going to two high or showing two high and all of a sudden going to single high. Stuff is simple like that that really makes the defense have to think, especially if you time that up. But there's simple things that you can do, and offensively, you just work play action with certain path concepts, you know what I mean? Teams do that anyway, and you just sort of pare it down to where you have your best, most uh, effective, most well-known plays that you implement, and guys tend to feel most comfortable with them, and they actually end up being the most successful plays that you run. I mean, I never forget with Mark McCarthy, we would be in their meetings, and he would talk about all the, the offensive plays that they would score on. And he would say, guys, we have scored, and I don't remember the statistic, but I, rem- I remember it being very high. He would say stuff like, man, mm-hmm. we scored on 60% of our touchdowns. It was like through eight weeks. On week one install plays. And I'm like, this. And, I'm like, and he's like, guys, this isn't about scheme. You know, I mean, scheme is a part of it, but it's not about a complex, let's see if we can trick them. It's more about let's do something that we execute at an extremely high level, and then we can take it from there. Basically, we execute better than the other team does, so this is what we're going to do because we're better than the other team at doing it. Exactly, and that we have the ability to make it happen even though they know what's going to happen pre-snap. I mean, that's that's what most teams do anyway, ironically. Absolutely. All right, last one for you here, Brady, and we're going to kind of switch it up on you because I was perusing your Twitter wire, and I, I see that you were watching some of the Major League Playoff Baseball, and you tweeted, can someone remind me again why umpires even exist? Every call can be done either by computer or remotely through monitors, hashtag NLCS Game 3. So you're not, you're not a fan of the umpiring that's going on in these uh, postseason, these Major League Baseball postseason? Well, I mean, it's just there's a lot of things with baseball that bother me. You know, one is these, these ups. I mean, you call them balls and strikes, and for some of these batters, I feel bad. And pitchers, I feel bad. Like, I saw a pitch. It was uh, Clayton Kershaw 
first series, so that was against the Nationals. And he had this yep. sweet breaking. I mean, it was a wicked breaking ball. And it dropped. As he usually does. The, yeah, I mean, it's just what he does. But it dropped literally probably from the armpits of the batter to his knees. And, and he called it a ball. And I'm like, okay, physiologically speaking, or you know, if you're talking physics, that means that the ball would have almost had to have dropped if it was outside of the strike zone, like in a 90-degree angle. And I'm thinking much. it dropped from a guy's armpits to his knees. You have to think that at some point it crossed the strike zone. There's no way that you can think that it didn't. It just, to me, it <laughs> made no sense. To think that it could have, but hey, so you want, gotta get run. There's an appointment to get to, big guy. Okay, all right, Brady. I really appreciate some time. Thank you for dropping some knowledge bombs on us here and uh, on the word with G. It's been a pleasure. Hopefully, we'll talk to you soon. Oh, we will, bud. Thanks for your time, Tim. Thanks for having me.